What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 47. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Ben, how goes the old limited gameplay these days? Funny you should ask. Right before we start recording, Zach always says we have to take a quick moment of silence so that it makes editing easier. But today I felt like that moment of silence was for my limited career. As for how it's been going recently. <laughs> Between my, my 0-2 finish on day two of the, the Arena Open... And the absolute beating that I just received uh, prior to recording this, let, let's just say it involved a two-land keep and a campus guide that was hoping to draw my my, uh, my third land and a manatide. And no future lands uh, came after that point. So could be better, I guess, but, you know, still having fun. I got manatide. What are you, you going to do about it, you know? Yeah, well, as I said, this is episode 47. This week, we're talking about our draft chaff hero for Strixhaven. Stick around to figure out who or what that is. Before we get into the main topic, of course, we've got to do some housekeeping. First up, Discord. If you're not in the Discord, you're doing yourself a disservice. Hop in there. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on Twitter page. But seriously, the Discord's been great. It popped off this weekend with the arena open. Everybody was chatting. Oh, yeah. We got a, a handful of new folks in there, so welcome to all the new folks. Uh, it's just been great to, to see everybody's builds and chat about you know different aspects of the game. We, we did a little bit of a uh, mental magic breakdown uh, recently as well to just kind of talk through you know managing losses and things like that. It's been been a great time. So jump into that if you're not already. Also, the show is brought to you by you, the listener, via Patreon. You can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. This is our only sponsor of the show at the moment, so we really do thank all of our patrons for their support. We have five tiers over there, starting at $2 a month and up to $10 a month, and you get access to things like stickers, show notes, uh, custom deck building opportunities with us, access to uncut and unedited versions of the show. And as we said, really, really can't thank you enough. Um, we did hit our first Patreon goal, if you hadn't heard that already. So our episodes are now available on YouTube as well. And we have a secondary goal now posted up on the Patreon. You can check that out on the website. But uh, once we hit that goal, we're going to open up our recording channel on a listener basis so that you could listen to the show live as we record it. All right. On to our crack and draft type thing. Ben, you've got a spicy one. Let's hear it. Yeah. So what I've got here is a pack two pick one. It's a little bit of a strange one. So in my deck so far, I've got a bunch of pretty solid stuff. I had a, a fun pick one and pick two. Uh, I went lightning bolt into counterspell. Just nice. Man, good it's old like me in a nutshell. <laughs> the, the way Garfield intended, right? And afterwards, I picked up some other solid stuff. I picked up Ingenious Mastery, Rutha, Tome Shredder, uh, Enthusiastic Study, Lorehold Pledge Mage, Hall Monitor, Academic Dispute, and a few things from my... Uh, my lesson plan, Mercurial Transformation, Reduced to Memory. And I was a little bit between, like, maybe I could get a, a bit of white in here. Maybe I could cast that Reduce at some point. But it's looking like base blue-red. And then pack two rolls along. And what do I open but Approach of the Second Sun? Which is, I mean, this is kind of the ideal format for it, right? Yeah, I haven't had the luxury of drafting Approach of the Second Sun yet. It is one of my pet cards. And absolutely love that card. I jam it in every EDH deck I can justify putting it in. And... This is a format for it because the format's slow. You can definitely get to, you know, the mana to cast it. You can definitely even reliably, in some cases, cast it twice. And with all the ways to get cards back from your graveyard, to stall, to draw, all these different things, 
approach really is a great win con in this format. Now, here's the thing. This was a tough pick for me because of the other stuff in this pack. So we also have an academic dispute. Uh, this is the main one that uh, came into contention here. There's some other stuff like Tome Shredder, Waterfall Aerialist, Introduction of Prophecy, but I think these are all below the approach and the dispute. So this is where I was a little bit torn. If this is going to be a, a late game deck, obviously Approach is a fantastic pickup. It's just going to be great. It's going to win me games. Approach rules. It's very hard to interact with, uh, and it even buys you time to be able to use it again. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if you copy Approach to the Second Sun, you just win on the spot, right? Yeah, so if you copied it with like Rutha or something, the I, I can't quite remember exactly how the templating is, is worded, but I believe the the first because when you when you put the first copy on the stack the second copy like the actual copy of the spell goes on the stack on top of the actual card the first one the the copy resolves and would try to bent like put itself back into your library but can't obviously because it's a copy and then the second one was was really the first one you cast but is second on the stack so it resolves second and was cast from hand so i'm pretty sure you do win on the spot i'm just reading it real quick if this spell was cast from your hand and you've cast another spell named Approach the Second Sun, so I guess... So, it yeah, actually, it wouldn't, because the copy's not a cast. I mean, you still gain seven life. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you'd get, the, you'd get the seven life off of it, but it wouldn't actually win you the game on the spot, yeah. Okay, it's still a kind of cute interaction. I could have sworn that word. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. I, the text is a little bit blurry on my copy. But let us know in the Discord if we screwed up this, uh, this rules lawyering. But in any case, it's a good card and would be good in a late-game deck. So I also had like a storm kiln artist that could potentially help ramp me up to it and get me there a little faster. But here's the thing. Right now, this deck is a little bit torn. Uh, I had a Lorehold Pledge Mage, uh, which is a very strong combo with Academic Dispute. If you haven't had the thrill of, I don't know, maybe your opponent plays their three drop, you untap, dispute their three drop, your three power first striker is going to eat it. And then you just kind of go from there and you learn. Uh, it's a very, very strong interaction, as well as just working well with other creatures. You can just do this with anything, and, and Dispute has just been just really solid removal. Also kind of a versatile combat trick, too. You can use it to give one of your creatures reach uh, at instant speed. It's just so flexible. It's another one that I'm thinking the Draft Trap Cube could use. But I ended up taking Approach here, and then I ended up not playing it. And I, I want to justify why. I thought at the time that the vector that it added to my deck was the most powerful mm -hmm. uh, of these two options. I thought that uh, right now my deck is leaning slightly towards late game, which is why I went with the approach. However, I ended up not really getting many more good late game cards after this, and it ended up being more of an aggressive, like tempo-y blue-red deck. I so see. I ended up cutting it. I think you could have justified me leaving it in based on the fact that maybe I storm kill an artist and ramp into it somehow. I ended up uh, taking a, a few more aggressive creatures here and there, like T Tome Shredder and some of the random two drops and things like that. In hindsight, I almost wish I did play it uh, because my deck wasn't great. I don't think the blue-red aggressive strategy is the best overall, sure. but it was what I thought was best at the time. Hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the blue-red tempo deck can kind of get there sometimes, but Prismari was really designed as a as a college to be doing the big spells nonsense, more so than the tempo stuff. Again, not to say that it can't happen. We've seen a lot of talk lately about Demir being a very playable deck in this format, so, you know, things can happen that weren't necessarily intended from a design perspective. That said, I agree with you. I would have taken the approach here and would have tried to lean heavier into... Maybe not, like, heavier into a Jeskai Splash, but lean heavier into maximizing the value of that approach uh, yeah. as it stands right now just looking at your deck you don't really have a great way to win the game 
but I can see the shell is is forming for that tempo sort of deck. I guess it really would depend on how the rest of the packs broke, but given that Prismari tends to care so much about going big and casting these massive spells, I really would have preferred just take the approach here. You didn't play it, you didn't play it. You probably would have preferred the dispute in that case, but yeah. I don't think that makes dispute the right pick here. Yeah, it just happened to be the way the, uh, the the packs broke and the way I ended up building it. I thought that the strongest build of this deck in like while drafting was going to end up be, uh, being the more aggressive version, so I kind of had to lean into it. And unfortunately, it didn't work out, but, you know, I'll get them next time. That brings us to our Teferi Tibble this week. If you're new to the show, Teferi Tibble is a section where Ben and I talk about something good, something bad. You may have heard of it referred to as Roses and Thorns. Ben, kick us off. Sure. So there's been a lot of fun... Uh, not professional magic, but fun high-level magic recently. Uh, there was the arena open last weekend, which despite, you know, not getting very far on day two, getting to day two is a lot of fun. I love playing in those kind of high-stakes events. And next weekend, this upcoming weekend, I have the, the arena qualifier, and I've been crushing with mono white and standard. Uh, I'm very excited, and I uh, I don't know. If you're planning on bringing mono red next weekend, just don't queue and I'm queued. That's all I'll say. Uh, it's not going to go well. I was floating up around Mythic 250 in Limited for a little while. I've since uh, fallen a few hundred thanks to my back-to-back -back losses in, in Premier Draft, but I'll, I'll scrape my way back up. And I just signed up for a, a new apartment, which is going to oh, be a nice. strict to my, my current one. It's just like 10 minutes away, but it's like $100 cheaper rent, and everything about it is so much nicer. So <laughs> very much in for that. Sounds like a two-for-one. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. Now, my Tybalt this week, mandatory testing. Uh, this one's kind of a Tybalt and also a Teferi because I was able to push back some lesson plans, which gave me a little bit of free time because I didn't have to plan new plans as quickly. But the fact that it's mandatory testing was just sucks. Students never like doing it. I never really like sitting there. The fun part of teaching is not sitting there in a silent class while they have their heads down taking a, an online exam. It's it's actually doing things. So it's, uh, it's whatever. I've been reading some book Einstein wrote about relativity <laughs> while they're doing it study enough. So it's unfortunate, but I don't make the rules, you know, I'm surprised you didn't break out some arena mobile and jam some drafts while your students were taking some tests. I tried, but I had an update to install and I didn't have Wi-Fi. So there you go. <laughs> the download was uh, just taking way too long. How about you? For me? Yeah. So my Teferi this week, I drafted the most amazing deck of the format, at least for me. I mean, I've seen some better decks, but this deck was amazing. It was uh, four it was, colors. It was a good one, yeah. Yeah, four colors. We went, basically everything except white was played, and I had a Professor Onyx, I had a Primal Command, I had a Quandrix Command, uh, Aether Helix, and a bunch of other nonsense. And so basically the deck was, you know, essentially play Professor Onyx as much as I could, jam in with some random attackers here and there, and then when I was about to deck out, Primal Command to just get my whole graveyard back and loop it all together. And the best part was, with the Quandrix Command in the deck as well, no matter which way I cast the two, I could always get the Primal Command back, so I could always loop my life. There was just an infinite loop of never running out of cards. Oh, cool. I actually won one game where my opponent and I were kind of stalled, and I could see a situation where they switched because I had drawn so many more cards in them just because of the way the deck was built. I think they had like 10 cards left in library when I had four. So it was like very clearly I was going to deck out and I hadn't seen the primal command yet, but the two, I knew there were two lands at the very bottom because of like some binning I had done. So I had two cards that were live. I knew they were uh, Aether Helix and primal command, but I didn't know which what order they were in. I had cast, I also had uh, Nasari the the red dean 
yeah, that nice. lets you cast your opponent's stuff. So I had cast a, an Archmage of Emeritus from my opponent's deck mm-hmm. uh, off the Nasari. So I was drawing with every spell I was casting. So I got to the point where I was like, wait, I might actually deck myself because the Emeritus trigger <laughs> and stuff might draw more yeah. cards before the Primal Command resolves. And so I ended up getting, so I was down to four cards, opponent was at 10. And then I saw they swapped from like this aggressive plan to like, I'm just going to deck them out. So they started drawing a couple extra cards. And and oh, then I just yeah. slammed the Primal Command and they're just like, oh gosh, what am I supposed to do or, here? It was great. Fun. I also had a, a game where I cast Professor Onyx three times because Aether Helix and Primal Command and stuff. So it was it was a stellar deck, easily the I, most fun deck I've drafted this format, and probably I won't come close to it again. Yeah, my uh, my deck that I have right now, it feels like that, but like uh, the worst possible version of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that it's a whole bunch of nonsense, but no power and no recursion. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like a recipe for success, unfortunately. Oh, my zero two starts better make a quick turnaround. Hey, stranger things have happened. Yeah, I actually got to a point with that deck where I, I think I had been, I was like two, one or three, one. And then I lost and I was like, please don't tell me this is going to be a three, three. Like this deck needs the trophy. It did. So we, we got there, but it was there. Were, I was sweating bullets for a minute. My tip this week is that my win rate overall, despite that amazing deck, has been pretty poor. I'm over 50% now, which is which is good. I, I really dislike being below 50%, mm-hmm. uh, which does happen from time to time for me. But I really want to take some time to like introspectively look at my gameplay and my drafting and figure out what has gone wrong. Because M21 was the last set that I did like really well in. And I don't know if that was just a function of that format was very solved. And, and it was just very easy to get the decks you wanted in that format. Or if I've shifted somehow in my like draft philosophy or my, my gameplay dedication, I suppose, like sometimes I'll draft and like watch something while I'm draft while I'm playing games. And obviously I'm not making the most clear plays then. So I don't know, maybe I, I I just want to take some time to reevaluate my, my MTG gameplay overall. I might turn that into a video series on the YouTube channel where I go over some of my drafts and gameplay and stuff. So maybe that'll happen. Maybe look for that on the YouTube channel. Uh, but I also didn't make day two of the open, so that that's a little unfortunate, but at least I didn't scrub out on day two like you did. You know, <laughs> I was about to say something nice about you, uh, and now now I'm not going to. So how about we just get to the listener question of the week? That's fair. That's fair. This week, we have a question from Dorigan, one of our longtime listeners and longtime Discord members. What is your favorite ever deck? All time. Ooh, that is a tough one. I do have an answer. Limited or constructed, right? Like any deck. There's no specification, so I'm going to assume any deck, period, is fair game. Kitchen Table, EDH, Legacy, Vintage, Draft, whatever you want. I have a few decks that I consider, like, my my brainchild. I have a Bruna deck that was, like, my very first commander deck that I built, like, from scratch. I didn't know what EDH rec was at the time, so I was just like, this seems like something cool. Wait a minute, this seems like something cool. It has a bunch of, like, heroic cards in it, and... A, a, just a bunch of nonsense but it's fun like some self-mill is involved but it is at its core like a, a bruna aura's deck i do love that deck a lot but i think oh, man it's so tough i think all-time favorite i've got to go my old standard deck green white seasons past uh, i think i mentioned it on this podcast before once a long time ago but this was back in what shadows over innistrad standard right yep uh, other top contenders at that time there was like eldrazi decks going around there was a mardu planeswalkers deck at that time there was a sack deck it was kind of like an aristocrats deck at that time 
I wasn't interested in any of that. I had taken who, who was it that played Green Black season past? John Finkel. John Finkel, that's right. It was the the, the legend himself. Johnny Magic. He had this black green seasons past. It was kind of like a control deck where you would play a bunch of different removal spells at all different converted mana costs. So like one drop kill spell, two drop kill spell, three drop kill spell, four drop like card draw or kill spell. And then flip you would Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh flip Nissa was involved. You would trade off as much as you could in in the first several turns and then cast a seasons past, uh, which would for those who don't know the card, it's four green green. You can return up to one of each of any number of different mana values from your graveyard to your hand. So you can get back a zero drop, like a land, a one drop, two drop, two drop, four drop. So you get back all those kill spells. Doesn't It can be any card, not a permanent. It's a kind of weird green card. But then the key is that instead of exiling itself like this effect usually does, it puts itself on the bottom of your library. So if you happen to have, say, a tutor effect, that one played Dark Petition, you could just go and get it again. And you could yep. loop it. And you could just cast everything every single turn. So you're casting like three removal spells every turn. And I said, that's awesome, but I'm not feeling it. I want to do something even weirder. And I made uh, another kind of like casual deck at the time was Green White Humans. There was a bunch of cool stuff. Thalia's Lieutenant, Thalia Herod at Cathar, Tireless Tracker, Heron's Grace Champion, just a really good shelf. Raven Inspector, the, the all-star. I made Green White Clues. So it was like Raven Inspector and, and all that usual curve. It's like a green-white clues humans start, but then the top end was Thalia's Lancers, which is a, a human that tutors for a legendary card, to go get Tamiyo's Journal, which is a legendary artifact that makes clues and lets you sack clues to tutor, and then Seasons Past, and a top end of Audric Lunark Marshall, Brizella, Archangel Avison, and Nissa's Renewal. It was just, it was the toolbox, it was mid-range as mid-range gets. And it had a transformational sideboard plan of human aggro to go underneath the control decks. It played Sun Scourge Champion, I believe the card was, uh, the one you could eternalize back from your graveyard uh, against Wraths. It was a wild, wild deck, but I took it to so many standard tournaments, and I honestly stopped playing standard after it rotated out. The, the, I, I didn't play again until Arena started, which was just recently, so favorite deck of all time. Easy. I, I take it back when I said about Bruna. Nope, it, I, I'm gone. This is it. Yeah, so it's actually funny you say that. I remember you building that deck, and it was it was a great deck. I actually loved John Finkel's version of that deck, the black-green one that you described. I bought that deck. I played that in Standard as well. It was, at the time, I'm, to no secret to our listeners, a, a control mage at heart. So I loved John Finkel's version of it. It was nice that it was like a non-blue version of a very controlling deck. I, I really appreciated that. Um, and the the shenanigans with the graveyard recursion was great. I'm also a huge toolbox fan, but my favorite deck ever comes from one even flock who is a pro tour champion. And in fact, this deck was spawned out of his pro tour winning deck from pro tour uh, M20 M2010 or M10. I can't remember how they phrased it back then. I think it was M10. Mm-hmm. And it was a blue white control deck that featured. Shock. Yeah, I know. Right. It featured Supreme Verdict. It featured the Azorius Charm. It featured Elixir of Immortality. <laughs> As the win con, right? Elixir of Immortality was essentially the win con. Yeah. And it played a ton of control magic, like uh, like counterspells and such. Absorb, I think, at the time. Maybe uh, Absorb actually wasn't out at the time. So I think it, it played um, Dissolve, which was the Theros version, the Theros counterspell that scryed. And it, its win condition was essentially my opponent wants to stop playing the game. Gives up. Yeah, like most of it would just loop itself 
so that you couldn't deck, but it also locked your opponent out of playing anything. You didn't care what creatures they played because you could gain enough life to take the hits, and then you just Supreme Verdict to kill them all anyway. And it was absurd. It had so. Oh, it also played Sphinx's Revelation, which is my favorite card ever. So it drew a ton of cards, gained a ton of life. It was just a. It was just a, a breeze. And then it had, if you really felt the need for a win condition, it had Elspeth Sun's Champion as well. But it wasn't quite shenaniganzy enough for me, so I took that deck and I built, I turned it into what I call lovingly Sphinx Control. And Sphinx Control was not better than even Flock's deck at all. So I'll <laughs> start by saying that. It certainly wasn't an upgrade, but it was more fun in that it played Sphinx's Tutelage. Now, those who are newer to Magic might take the name Tutelage and apply it to a card we know as Teferi's Tutelage, and you would be correct to do so because Sphinx's Tutelage is a very similar card. Yep. The difference is Sphinx's Tutelage, instead of milling a card anytime you having an opponent mill anytime you draw, Sphinx's Tutelage said whenever you draw a card, target opponent mills two cards, and if they share a color, they do it again. Or repeat this process. So not only did they do it again, but if they kept matching, they would keep milling. So you could easily mill like 20 or 30 cards. If your opponent was playing monocolor, just forget it. Like they're just dead. They would have to hit lands and hope that, you know, hope that they're hitting lands at some point. Yeah. It was amazing. And so you would play Sphinx's Tutelage, still played Elixir of Immortality, but I ran no other win conditions. I didn't, I didn't run the Elspeths. It just ran nothing else. And it was beautiful. And I loved it. I lost many a game to that deck. Yeah, I remember Many people did. Yeah, outside of that, I guess my next favorite would be uh, my Chaos deck from EDH, which is a, a, an Ocown Zendersplit enchantments with uh, text on them. <laughs> you know, as much as I love playing against that deck, because it's just such a fun game, I also hate it because there's just so many replacement effects to keep track of and so many triggers happening. And it's like, yep. well, the beginning of your turn, it actually becomes your turn. <laughs> but then you have to flip a coin. And if you do that, then that doesn't happen. But maybe if you flip another coin, then you'll actually take his deck and play that instead. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? Also, it doesn't matter because nobody's allowed to cast spells. Instead, you're just drawing and playing whatever comes off the top of your library. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a great deck. All right. On to our main topic. Oh, thank you for the question too, Dorgan. Uh, that's a great one. A nice walk yeah. down memory lane there. But on to our main topic. This week, as I mentioned, we were talking about our Draft Chaff Hero. Now, Draft Chaff Hero is a topic we came up with for the show that focuses on a particular common, uncommon, or otherwise bulk rare that has a significant impact on the limited environment that we find it in. This is chaff that has, uh, for lack of better phrasing, risen above the rest. You know, the chaff has risen to the top. You, you can pick it up for your casual decks or maybe even commander cards like this sometimes break into standard we've seen our last few draft chaff heroes such as season hollow blade and ruin crab rise to you know standard fame as well and it looks like our our draft chaff hero for strixhaven is making its way there too as it's been showing up in some standard winota lists our draft chaff hero for strixhaven is none other than professor of symbology with an honorable mention to expanded anatomy and we're going to be focusing here on Professor of Symbology. If you're not familiar, Professor of Symbology is a one and a white 2-1 core cleric at Uncommon. And it says when Professor of Symbology enters the battlefield, learn. So it makes sense to us to kind of pair a learn card with a lesson. And in fact, when you look at some 17 lands data, which we'll get into in a little bit more detail, you find that the two of them are actually... Uh, they have risen above the top. They're a bit the cream of the crop as far as win rates go, so they are a nice little pairing to, to put together here as our draft chaff hero. First of all, it's a 2-mana two 2-1, two 
which is nothing super special. Uh, it gets blanked by a handful of cards. There's a bunch of like one fours running around in this format. But the fact that it's essentially a modal card just makes up for this. It's a core cleric, which doesn't matter too much for this this limited environment. Notably, uh, core are on Strixhaven. I guess they got there from Zendikar somehow. I don't know how that happened, but it is a cleric. So sometimes that'll that'll have some relevance in standard. Maybe clerics has been slowly getting pieces in standard. Who knows? Maybe something cool is going to happen once the the D and D set comes out this summer. I can see them adding some clerics in there. The past few sets, we've looked for something busted for our mythic uncommon, right? Like Seasoned Hallowblade was such an obvious choice for Draft Shaft Hero. This one we had to do a little bit of thinking and a little bit of digging, which as you mentioned is why we ended up going, kind of turning to the data on this one. This card doesn't really give you that same feeling of like, man, I got this thing, game over. But I think it's because, well, the, the professor here operates on a different wavelength than we're used to. And a very different wavelength than something like Ruin Crab or Seasoned Hallowblade uh, or Svela from, from last set. So let's talk about some ways that this card plays out. You you naturally put it into Silver Quill and Lore Hold. This isn't the kind of card you usually splash, but Silver Quill and Lore Hold are usually, I think the aggressive strategies have kind of risen, risen to the top. Uh, I really, really like these two just kind of going one drop, two drop, three drop, pump spell, kill you before the other decks have the chance to stabilize and set up their big late game stuff. Despite the fact that Lore Hold does have that graveyard stuff, it's cool when it works. Quintorius goes off sometimes. But I think that that that, that direction is, has a shorter vector overall, if you will. The the prop here plays on on turn two perfectly in both Lorehold and Silverquill, uh, and grabbing an Inkling summoning from the sideboard, funnily enough, I think is kind of the, the best way to start off with one of these. You can get other stuff too if you have to get a Spirit summoning. Sure, it's not quite as good, but it can even grab an Environmental Sciences if you happen to miss your third land. Now, according to the seventeen lands data. Professor of Symbology is actually tied for number one for win rate when it's in your opening hand, which is at 64.5%. That's just think about that. That's nuts. This is saying that like over their aggregate data, when you have Professor of Symbology in your opening hand, people have won almost 65% of those games. That's almost two thirds of the games. That's that's wild. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned that it's tied for number one. It's tied there with Killian. And, you know, anybody who's played Killian knows the power of that card on turn two. The Professor Symbology is right there with it. It might not be as flashy or as, you know, in your face as Killian is as far as power level goes. But like Ben said, the, the way the ability to grab basically anything like being a, just a toolbox in and of itself is huge and really lets you sculpt the way that the rest of your game plan goes. Yeah, Killian definitely has more of that mythic uncommon feel. But the fact that these are tied, I think, like everybody knows that if you build around Killian on turn two, you're going to get a pretty busted deck. But Professor of Symbology does the same, apparently has the same overall result. So I thought this one would be a little bit more interesting to investigate. So also imagine you top deck the Professor in the late game. Go ahead, grab an expanded anatomy uh, to beef up like an Owlin Shield Mage or something, or like a Combat Professor and make like a huge threatening flyer. Or grab whatever other specific like silver bullet you might need. Maybe if you have one of the rare lessons or something like an introduction to Annihilation or something. And at the absolute worst case, you can always rummage away a land, which is still all right. Now, this card lets you learn earlier than almost any other card, barring, I guess, I don't know, there's a few other things that you do it on turn two. I guess the only way to learn on turn one, I think, is I guess you kind of have to get lucky with a, a, a low value academic dispute. Like your opponent plays a one drop and you played a mountain and you get to do that, right? I think yeah. that's the only way to do it. 
Pretty sure. Yeah, but this is uh, like a pretty reliable way to get learn on turn two and leave a creature behind, which is, you know, not something to overlook. The fact that you get, leave a body and a 2-1 in this format is not in, incredible, right? We, we talked about this earlier. Like, the stats aren't special by, per se, but two power does trade with a handful of stuff you want to trade with. You know, it eats a Sedgemore Witch if you have another blocker or something. Like, there are a lot of X2s in the format, though... They're not mm. the most common. They, they they are round, and so once this grabs any spell, it's trading pretty nicely with with anything else, and it's already done its job by that point. You've gotten your learn card, so that's true. Just the floor on this is so high. The fact that it's already drawn you what you need or rummaged away what you don't in in some cases. In, in a way, this card's pretty similar to a lot of the two drops that uh, we've seen recently in some sets, uh, like Fisher Wizard and, and Immerster Raider. But the fact that in this set, this kind of effect is uncommon. This was one of the first cards I remember thinking and going, that's an uncommon? Like, Is Learn that good? And we eventually saw with the full spoiler that Learn on ETB actually only shows up on three creatures. Retriever Phoenix, which even then it's conditional, uh, and Gnarled Professor, which is just you know, a great rare anyway. And it turned out that learn actually was just that good. So, um, this is powerful, you know? Yeah. There's not really anything more to say about that aspect of it. Like we have very clearly learned that, uh, learn is where you want to be in this format. I think a lot of decks come together as, you know, you, you find your bombs, you find your, your ramp or whatever it is that you need. But at the end of the day, you're always looking at what's my lesson plan look like? Where are my learn cards? How am I actually going to cast the cards out of my lesson plan? Because ultimately, if you come up with a deck that doesn't have either of those things, or you have lessons, but no way to get them, we've seen that a lot of the win rates on those decks are relatively low compared to decks that have a higher uh, number of lessons and learn cards because you just get to draw extra cards for free. Like you're, and you're, and not only are you drawing random cards, you're drawing very specific cards that you know are going to help you in the situation that, that they're in. It's, there's no surprise that cards like expanded anatomy or environmental sciences are super good because there's silver bullets like you can grab they don't they don't count against your deck and we've talked about this over and over and i think a lot of other content creators have kind of beaten this this battle to death or whatever but you know it's worth reiterating here because that is what makes this two mana two one so powerful turns out even the learn cards that we once thought were bad like voice or um study break they're just pretty good (laughs) yeah and especially as these aggro decks have kind of shaped out the way they have, like we originally thought, if you go back to our uh, our, our um, first impressions show or even our format breakdown episode, we were really low on Silver Quill. We thought Silver Quill was not going to get there. We didn't think it was going to have the the, the aggro chops, as it were, yeah. to actually do the aggro thing. And it's great. Like the aggro decks have found their lane. They've figured out what cards need to be in them to make that vector as strong as possible. And with that said, now that we've figured that out, Professor Symbology slots right in there to do exactly what it needs to do. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about, and you're not going to like this, but the wish board. And I'm calling it that only for, for a good reason. I'll go back to lesson plan in a second. I know you're a big proponent of the lesson plan. But I want to mention wishboard because that's named after like wish effects. For example, Fey of Wishes from Standard. So it was kind of like a standard powerhouse a little while ago back when Teamer was uh, King of the Hill. And somehow Fae Wishes, uh, you might also know it as like the like the 15th best card in Throne of Eldraine. What a set. I mean, honestly, you could ban the top like 10% of that set 
and it would still take up most of standard i think it, like is bone crusher i don't even know anyway but for those that never played it in standard the idea was uh in this teamer deck that it would see play him you would build a sideboard and, and even in best of one uh, you could build a sideboard that allows you to play a variety of silver bullets which might be a single copy of negate or one escape to the wilds which is like a card draw spell or a fling effect to just end the game on the spot if you needed it. Learn feels like that. When I exactly. learn and I go and I see what I can go get, it feels like I'm grabbing my silver bullet, the exact thing that I need there. So one way to think of even the worst learn and lesson, even like the worst learn card, even one that's like like two thirds of a card. And then if you're getting like a bad lesson, that's like two thirds of a card you're still adding up to more than a card. And then the versatility makes it like two cards. You wind up with at least two real cards out of this. And that is like worst case. The flexibility of it really does make it fantastic. So I take my first copy of like environmental sciences, introduction to annihilation, introduction to prophecy, and the on-color summonings. I take probably the highest. The other ones, I mean, you never want to play more than one copy, really. You just want the one copy of it to go and get it and then of course as you mentioned you also need to make sure you pick up enough learn cards if i start with a learn card like if i start with a gnarled professor i'm going to take these a bit higher sure and i think According that's something that people have have uh, sort of started to figure out a little bit more we, we talked about this a lot at the beginning of the format where mm -hmm. you know a lot of the lessons looked like they were cards that like you didn't want to play more so than the learn cards. Like a lot of the learn cards looked kind of bad, like things like guiding voice and uh, arcane subtraction or, you know, things like that looked kind of bad, but the lessons kind of stuck out as being like, these aren't cards you want to play. I mean, we had that conversation about environmental sciences where you were saying like, that's just, it's just not, I don't want to pay two mana for this effect. It's just not a card that yeah. I want. And I don't saying that. <laughs> we recorded it. Don't worry. Oh. But we sort of started to figure out which of these lessons are actually worth playing. And so the, and, and essentially the answer is all of them, at least in one copy. But that makes that puzzle kind of solved, so to speak. We don't have to worry about like, oh, should I take this? Because I don't know that it's actually playable. It is because you don't have to put it in your deck. So that, that moves those like learn lesson pick rates differently. I find these days, I tend to find it harder to pick up learn cards than I do to pick up lessons. Lessons yeah. seem to wheel far more frequently than learn cards do. And I think that's because without the learn cards, you can't take the lessons. It's sort of like the um, the payoff versus enabler kind of conversation mm, where without the learn cards, you just can't take the, you can't, you can't play the lessons. And a lot of the lessons are colorless. So they slot into any deck you want. Whereas the, the other, the learn cards are not. And so, you know, if you see those coming around in your colors, you kind of want to scoop them up. Yeah, they're more restricted. I guess it's almost a, what you were mentioning about the, uh, the specific lessons themselves. We were kind of trying to analyze it as if some of them would be good all the time, right? We were like trying to figure out like, which of these do you really want in your deck? Which of these are you always going to want to pick? It turned out to not really be a question of which are good all the time. It turned out all of them were good sometimes. Right. You know, I've used even, um, what's the black one called? The black rare one with Lily on it. Uh, to kill a planeswalker. Oh, confront the past. Yeah, I've uh, whatever that, that thing is called. I've used it to kill. Uh, I, I killed a Kazmina with it once, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I have I have an answer for this. This is great." Um, they are all good sometimes, and that just incredible versatility makes this. I, I think a really fun mechanic. I really like Strixhaven. Even the fact that I'm currently tanking a draft, I'm still excited to keep playing it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very intriguing and it definitely changes up. It adds just another dynamic to the 
the draft experience as well. Something else to think about when you're building your deck. And again, that's why Professor Symbology has made our draft chaff hero for Strixhaven because it's a it's an efficient creature. It's getting you that learn effect as early as you possibly can get it, essentially in this format. And that lets you get ahead shaping that that game plan, as we mentioned. And also you're you're like up cards i mean you're not actually up a card because it, it replaces itself but it, it's card advantage early in a, in a way and uh that's huge i we've seen just the ability to draw those extra cards is is massive yeah think of it like a like a demonic tutor that leaves a two one behind <laughs> sure yeah i mean if you had a mascot exhibition in the lesson plan i think it kind of is that because you're grabbing something that's worth getting with demonic tutor but Pretty much. So according to the 17 lands data, uh, the top three commons with the greatest win win rate when drawn turn one or later are fractal summoning at 60.3%, inkling summoning at 60.9%, and then number one on the list, expanded anatomy with a bit of a jump up to 62.4% win rate when drawn turn one or later. Now, I think it's safe to assume that this means learned as well. Unless people are winning 60% of their games after main decking expanded anatomy, uh, I'd like to talk to those people because <laughs> I certainly haven't met any yet. So this implies to us that this is probably one of the best targets to pick up from your lesson plan. Like you want to take your first copy of expanded anatomy pretty highly. And the fact that there's naturally some creatures that wear counters nicely, there's some lifelinkers, there's some creatures with ward. Uh, especially because this is like the intro set for it. So there's some even commons with it and just otherwise evasive creatures that really pair well with these aggressive strategies, put some counters on attack before your opponent can go over the top and, and stabilize. Agreed. And there is a little bit of a caveat here. And I've seen Sierkiewicz talk about this. We talked to Sierkiewicz about some data analysis and such back uh, in Kaldheim. And I think, I think just seeing some of the discourse in Twitter space that there is probably an episode in the works for us as far as how to actually use data, because I know that's something that a lot of folks have struggled with. Ben and I have some stats background, so it's something we may, might be able to illuminate a little bit more. Uh, so Maybe, maybe there's an episode for that in the works here, but little caveat to expand that anatomy. I've seen some discourse on why the win rate is a step above those other commons you mentioned. It's like basically 2% above the others. And it could just be that it's a win more card. Like you're already in a play. Like if you're casting expanded anatomy, you're already in a place to win the game. It's also colorless, so it can be cast in any deck that has learn cards, which might just mean that, you know, the better decks have learn cards. And so they're they're able to cast these there are a number of different things you could think through as to why it has a higher win rate but it does and so at the end of the day you know that you do have to consider the fact that that it is in decks with higher win rates mm -hmm. you know it's funny that you mentioned that we both have a stats background if i remember correctly uh for those that don't know zach and i went to high school together i'm pretty sure only one of us brought a calculator to the ap stats test is that right that is true and I am. I'll take. I'll take the beats. I did. I did not bring a calculator to my stats AP exam. Uh, I did get a three on the exam though. That, that's, so that's pretty I'm pretty impressive. sure with an, with the calculator would have gotten the five. Just saying. But I had an English test before that, so I forgot the calculator. Okay. Okay. We all have English tests to go do that. <laughs> anyway, um, there's one other little side note at the end here. Um, expanded anatomy doesn't necessarily pair super well with the with the the professor. You can grab it off of it and uh, make your professor into a 4-3 Vigilance on turn three and attack. Sometimes that'll be the line of what you do. But I've personally found it better to grab an Inkling or maybe even a Spirit and just kind of build out your board, start attacking early. 
the same decks that play the professor usually play some strong combat tricks and they really want to have one or two creatures lest you get blown out by like an edict effect like having you sack something or just removal spells in general better to have like a a slight built out board before you start going too tall yeah uh otherwise you know grab an environmental sciences get your splash color that you need for for whatever deck you happen to be playing you know like some of the mardu decks are, are pretty good and environmental sciences is a great way to tie those together that said, as we're wrapping up here, you know, what, what's next with this card? Again, mostly talking about Professor Symbology here. Both of us continue to take the card pretty highly. It's, you know, we, we would recommend that you continue to take the card highly. It's better than a handful of the rares in this set, and it's not as obviously broken or amazing as something like Season Hallowblade or Ruin Crab, but it is quite powerful in a lot more subtle ways, which might mean you're going to see more of them. Uh, so keep that in mind. You've got the inside scoop now, and you should definitely be taking Professor Symbology higher than uh, than maybe you have been, or continue to take it as highly as you have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I have been seeing it show up in standard. Like I've been doing some standard prep over the past like day, uh, and <laughs> the ability for it to make two non-humans uh, before turn four is very key for Winota, which cares about attacking with things that are not humans. Uh, on turn four so i don't know we have a pretty good track record of of our our draft shaft heroes making it into standard honestly svelo is the only one that didn't but svelo was let's be real svelo was never making it into standard (laughs) yeah unless they print some some new wild snow cards in the near future yeah probably not an amazing graph uh draft shaft cube candidate unfortunately don't think we're really looking to add learn at this point kind of need the whole shebang to support that and Without multiple potential, because a cube is a best is a singleton thing. Without like multiple copies of a lot of the lessons and the learn cards, it's going to be kind of hard to support. So unless we see that show up later, probably not going to make it into the draft shaft cube. But hey, if they bring learn lesson back, uh, I would certainly revisit that. Yeah, I could see them potentially bringing this back if uh, if we ever go back to Strixhaven. I don't know. We're following Will and Rowan Kenrith. Maybe they're going to take like a gap year and then come back in in some other time. We experienced so much like pain and heartbreak just trying to make the last like three cuts of the cube to include this card we'd have to cut like five or six cards to make room for learn stuff right i I don't think i have it in my heart to cut six cards from this cube (laughs) yeah not yet but we do have some changes coming uh we're gonna try to make a few changes from this set so look forward to that that said again if you're not already jump into the discord you can check out the link to that in the episode description or on our twitter page at draft Also, if you're interested in supporting the show directly, subscribe on the YouTube channel or do whatever that is. Pass the show along to friends, enemies, family, loved ones, hated ones, anybody at at all. Just pass the show along. And otherwise, if you're interested in supporting us directly monetarily, you can go to the Patreon. Check out patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod to see all the different perks you can pick up there at the Patreon. If you want to reach out to us directly, you can do so by uh, contacting me on Twitter at Rannick Alfredian. You can find Ben at Betafish1 or the podcast directly at DraftChaffPod. You can also email us at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. That does it for us. We'll check back with you next week and enjoy the rest of your drafts this week. So I wanted to chat real quick about something that I, I saw recently. Uh, I, I would say that we are in a new age of adult animated TV shows. Would you agree? I would need to get your definition, but I suppose so. I'm talking like uh, there's so much more quality content now than ever before. For a long time, sure. I think one of the only main like animated TV shows that was aimed at uh, anybody older than like 15 was like The Simpsons, right? Sure. Um, yeah, Family Guy, I guess, that kind of stuff, but yeah. Yeah. 
uh, of which the quality of, of shows like this has been questionable recently. Um, but now we've got stuff like cartoons that have had widespread appeal to people of all ages. I think we'd both agree that Avatar The Last Airbender is one of the best things ever created, just hands down. Still my favorite show. Yep. Uh, I saw some pretty great stuff recently. Um, a movie called Mitchell's versus the Machines. Absolutely lovely. Highly recommend you watch it. Uh, one of the best like family movies I think that's ever been made. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot about like I've seen chatter about it, but I don't know anything about the movie. Yeah, it was made by a lot of the same team that worked on Gravity Falls, another pretty uh, quality animated TV show. And the what spawned uh, spurred this on was that last night uh, I watched with a friend the the first two episodes of this new show called Invincible. Have, have you heard about this? No. Oh man. Uh, it is unlike anything I've seen before, and uh, it, it felt pretty normal. Anyone that's listening that's heard it before, I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, anyone that's heard this, uh, that's seen it, uh, they they can confirm that, like, the first episode, it feels like, all right, this is pretty good. And then the last four minutes or so of the first episode is one of the most, like, jaw-dropping, gut-wrenching, like, you can't watch it if you have a weak disposition uh i was in i was like just awestruck i was speechless i had no idea how to respond to it uh one of the most brutal things i've ever seen depicted on television wow um and it's a superhero show so (laughs) superheroes (laughs) um yeah i'm excited to keep watching it though and i i highly recommend it for anybody that this sounds like it might be interested in uh I don't recommend watching it right before you go to bed. You might have some weird, weird nightmares. But anyway, um, Noted. I, I recommend watching this, though, if you are in if you would consider yourself a fan of comics or superhero shows in general. Uh, Invincible is a good one. I think it's on uh, Amazon Prime Video. Uh, Invincible, if you want to sponsor us, just what's up. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. Yeah, uh, it's something. That's all I'll say. <laughs>